0: Morning, church family. Before I get to the message today, I want to give a word of thanks and then talk about Easter. So first, the thank you. A big thank you to everyone who supported last Friday's Mops auction. Uh, Yeah, year in and year out, Mops does such an incredible job of supporting moms and children and families. And because of your generosity, a little over $37,000 was raised for that ministry. Uh, Yeah, praise God for that. Proceeds help fund childcare costs as well as reducing other costs associated with MOPS for the next two years. So again, a huge thank you to everyone who supplied items or bid on items. And a big, big thank you to the MOPS leadership and volunteers for organizing such an amazing fun of evening. Y'all, we're just two weeks away from Easter. My stress level is like here. And uh, so please note that that weekend we actually have a completely different service schedule. And that starts on Good Friday, April 15th. So that evening, we're going to have two Good Friday services, one at 6 p.m. and then one at 7.30 p.m. And the 7.30 p.m. will also be live streamed. And then for Easter weekend, we'll have five services that weekend. So two services Easter Saturday, one at 4.30 uh, p.m. and then one at 6 p.m. And then on Sunday morning, three services at 8.30, 10 and 11.30. The uh, 10 and 11.30 will both be live streamed. Uh, So it's a lot of different services. Make sure that you make note of those times. Um, It's not too late to invite folks. So there are these five-pack invite cards that are on a table out in the gathering area. Please, please, please invite. We would love to fill this place that weekend only so that we can preach the gospel to folks who don't know Jesus. Now, obviously, we can't do additional services without the help of additional volunteers. And so like we do every year, we ask for folks to consider doing a sit one, serve one. And that means you attend one service to be able to listen and then attend a second service to be able to serve. You can serve on our host team, our security team, our children's ministry. There's a sit one, serve one form that's uh, on the tables, on the bistro tables. Uh, As you exit the worship center, you can grab one, fill out what you can do, and then drop these in the the comment card boxes in the back wall. Uh, Finally, one last Easter event that I wanna draw your attention to, uh, something that we've never done before. On Wednesday, April 13th, two days before Good Friday and before Easter weekend, the Neighborhood Center is sponsoring a community barbecue here on campus at 6 p.m. in the parking lot. We're gonna be cooking up burgers and hot dogs that evening to everyone who shows up. Uh, And we want this event not just to bless the people who attend Lake City, we actually want this to be a blessing on the entire community around the church. And so next Sunday, April 10th, uh, right after the 11 o'clock service. We're gonna have a team of volunteers go door to door around a radius uh, surrounding this church and want to let our neighbors know that there's a church amidst them that really loves them. And so if you wanna be part of that volunteer team to go door to door, just show up after the, next, uh, after the last service next Sunday at around 12.30. Um, as you can tell, we're really excited about what we're doing and being able to celebrate the resurrection with you uh, this year. So family, if you've spent any amount of time at this church, you've likely sensed that we have a strong commitment to prayer. We're a church that believes in prayer. Prayer is one of the heartbeats and DNA of Lake City. Honestly, even outside of a church context, prayer is something that people see all the time. Prayer is something fairly commonplace. We see references to prayer all around us. In 1508, German painter Albrecht Durer created this drawing entitled Praying Hands, which over time has become one of the most reproduced images of prayer in history. In 1687, the New England Primer was published, and the book was first used as the reading curriculum for all of the American colonies. And one of the most famous passages in the New England Primer was this prayer. Recite it with me if you're familiar with it. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray thee, Lord, my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray thee, Lord, my soul to take. And it's a wonderful life. George Bailey, he's contemplating the trouble that he's in, and he prays, Dear Father in heaven, I'm not a praying man, but if you're up there and you can hear me, show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope. Show me the way, Lord. And in 1986, Bon Jovi even released its hit, Living on a Prayer. Prayer is something fairly commonplace. Seen and spoken about often. Prayer is everywhere around us. So then why isn't prayer something we do more often? This weekend we are taking a one-week break from our verse-by-verse teaching through the Gospel of Mark to talk about prayer. Each year before Easter we teach on prayer because prayer is the single best thing we can do as a church to prepare for Easter. Especially to pray for those who don't know Jesus. And so today, I'd like to study together Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. I think these verses help us answer one of the questions behind why we don't pray as often as we ought to. Because we don't pray more often because some of us actually have doubt that prayer works. We doubt that God answers prayer. Because if you and I 100% believe that every prayer that we lift up to God was answered, well, you bet we would be praying more often. Reality is that we have all prayed for something that did not turn out the way that we had asked for. That's our key concern. How do we make sense of unanswered prayer? How do we make sense of unanswered prayer? When I pray through the weekly prayer requests, and some of you list the same prayer every single week. I've been writing that down every single week for years. We see them. So how do we wrestle with this tension of being faithful in prayer, but feeling as if our prayers are going unanswered now intentionally using quotation marks around unanswered because the reality is God answers all prayer. God answers all prayer. And these verses we're studying together in Luke chapter 11, not only teach us some kingdom minded truths about prayer, they also reveal some responses to this question about unanswered prayer. So before we get to the text, let me discuss what prayer is. Prayer, at its most basic level, is communication and communion with God. It's communication and communion with God. Prayer is communication. It's this dialogue between God and his people. It's you and I speaking to God, and God speaking to us primarily through his word. Prayer is also communion with God. It's an intimate time where God's people are experiencing God's presence. It's our spending time with God alone or with others focused on him. Remember, Christianity is a relationship with God. And all relationships are built on a foundation of communication and time together. And so prayer in its most basic essence is simply God's people living out their relationship with God by spending time with him and having conversation with him. It's us living out our relationship with God by spending time with him and having conversation with him. So that definition of prayer as a foundation, let's get to our text today. So we're going to study Luke 11 in three pieces. And in this first chunk, the Bible says this. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Lord, teach us to pray as john taught his disciples and he said to them well, when you pray say father hallowed be your name your kingdom come give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation this is the word of the lord bible says jesus was praying in a certain place Now, the phrasing of that implies there was this specific location that Jesus often went to to pray. My wife does her daily devotions every morning in the same corner of the couch in our family room. That's her quiet time spot. I've tried to go down there and snuggle with her, and believe you, that's that's not a snuggle spot. That is her quiet time prayer spot. (laughs) So Jesus is there praying in his location. And one of the disciples, who was unnamed, watched him pray. And as this unnamed disciple watched Jesus pray, these questions come to his mind. Like, What is Jesus praying about and how is he praying? The disciple just sat there and watched Jesus, waited until he finished. And as soon as Jesus finished praying, this unnamed disciple went up to Jesus and said to him, "'Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples.'" Now, the John being referred to here in this verse is John the Baptist, because John also had a group of his own disciples who spent time with him and followed him around and listened to John teach. And according to this unnamed disciple, John had taught his disciples how to pray. Now, what that likely meant was that John had his disciples memorize and recite different psalms, because that's how the psalms were used back then as prayers or worship songs. And if it wasn't a psalm, it might have been another passage in the Old Testament. But John taught his followers different scripture to be recited as a prayer at different occasions. So maybe it was the psalm to recite when you're praising God. Maybe this is a different psalm if you're you're praying to God in a season of need. And so this disciple, he wanted Jesus to provide the same level of specific instruction on what to pray By the way, there's speculation this unnamed disciple is the disciple Andrew. In the Gospel of John, we learn that two of Jesus' disciples, Andrew and one other disciple, followed John the Baptist before they followed Jesus. And so the reason this unnamed disciple knew that John taught his disciples how to pray was he was one of John's disciples, had been taught that. And so Jesus responded to to this disciple's statement with one of, if not the most famous prayer of all time. A prayer that Christians call the Lord's Prayer. Now it's covered here in Luke 11. It's also covered in Matthew chapter 6 with a few slight differences. A lot of sermons use the Lord's Prayer as a model on how to pray. But I want us to look at it and and, and see what the the Lord's Prayer teaches us about prayer itself. So this is the Lord's Prayer. Jesus prayed, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Jesus prayed, Father. Matthew 6 says, Our Father, hallowed be your name. Greek word for hallowed can also be translated holy. Holy is your name is what the Lord's prayer declares. And then it says, Your kingdom come. And Matthew 6 also adds the famous phrase, your will be done. It doesn't matter that Luke excludes it since the phrases your kingdom come and your will be done are essentially saying the same thing. They're prayers that God would reign and rule over this world. That God would be the king over his kingdom. And that God's will and God's kingly rule would be accomplished. So by starting this prayer with a declaration that one, God is holy, and then two, asking that God's will would be done, that he, his reign and rule would be accomplished. Jesus tells us our first key point about prayer, and it's this. The central focus of prayer is God. The central focus of prayer is God. God's the focus of our prayers. He's not only the focus of our prayers, God's the central focus of everything in our faith. Who's the Bible about? God. Why do we read the Bible? To grow in our understanding of God. Why do we go to church? To worship God. Jesus boils down the entirety of the Mosaic Law and says it's about loving God and loving others. God is the central focus of everything in our faith, and God is the central focus of everything in our life, and he's the central focus of prayer. You see, too often, God isn't the focus of our prayer, right? The focus of our prayer is whatever we're praying about. That becomes our primary focus. Whether we're praying for a relationship or a job or for healing or for our schoolwork, whatever we're praying for becomes our focus. If it's not what we're praying about, then we often become the central focus of prayer. Prayer is about our struggle. Prayer is about how we're feeling, what we want to happen in our life, what we need, what we want. We become the focal point of prayer. And when God is not the central focus of our prayer, it causes problems in how we understand what prayer is. And it brings us to our first response to the question of unanswered prayer. God not doing what we want is not the same thing as God not answering prayer. God not doing what we want Him to do is not the same thing as unanswered prayer. Because this is usually what we mean when we say God doesn't answer prayer. We mean that I asked God to do something and He didn't listen. Our concern really isn't about prayer. Our concern is about control. God's all-knowing. God's all-powerful. God can do whatever He wants to do. And we forget that when it comes to prayer because we ask him to do something, he doesn't do it and we get concerned. As if we're the ones who are in control and not God. I have permission to share this story. So uh, earlier this year my youngest daughter Zoe was upset because she had asked my wife Debbie what we were having for dinner. And my wife Debbie told her we were going to have Spam and Rice, one of her favorite meals. And when dinner time arrived Debbie made something completely different. and Zoe was upset at that change. And my wife responded by reminding Zoe, you're not in charge of what I cook for dinner. In the same way, we need to remind ourselves that when we come to God in prayer, we're not the ones in control. That God is in control. That our focus is God's kingdom to come. That God's will will be done. And if God chooses to respond to our prayer in a different way than we had asked him, we praise God that he's in control and we are not. The Bible says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. This is the kind of prayer God answers, the ones according to his will. For us to have a better understanding of prayer, we must make God the central focus of prayer. The Lord's Prayer says this, Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So after declaring God's holiness and seeking that God's will would be done, the second half of the Lord's prayer contains three requests. It's a prayer for daily bread, for food, a prayer for forgiveness of sin, and a prayer for for, for protection from temptation, for protection from evil, nourishment, forgiveness, and protection. These are basic needs. And it brings us to our second key point about prayer, that in prayer, God provides for us what we need. God provides us what we need. In prayer, God will meet our basic needs around nourishment, forgiveness, and protection. We see this in the Bible. We see assurances that God will provide for his people and meet their needs. The Bible says this in Paul's letter to the Philippian church, and my God will supply Every need of yours, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Every need. Jesus said this to his followers. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Needs, right? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Bible is telling us that our God gives us what we truly need. So here's the issue. The issue is that our broken human perspective confuses the words need with the confused the word want. Need and want are not the same thing. A few years ago, I saw this actual Christmas list a 10 year old gave her parents. The list starts with a new iPhone 11, new Apple AirPods and a MacBook Air. And my favorite item is later on the list, she asks for $4,000. <laughs> the audacity of this child. Haven't we seen similar asks from our children? I mean, as a parent, how many of us have ever dealt with our 10-year-old saying, I really, really need a cell phone? At 10? We live in a culture that has skewed our ability to know the difference between what we need and what we want. And as it relates to prayer, God does not promise to answer the selfish prayer of our heart. We can't go to God and say, God, help me win the lottery and then be upset at him when we don't become millionaires. That is, God not giving us what we want is not the same thing as God not answering prayer. God not giving us what we want, not need, is not the same thing as God not answering prayer. Now listen, I'm not equating more serious prayers with an out-of-touch Christmas list. I don't want to minimize the actual pain or hurt we feel when we actually lift up a prayer request that isn't a selfish want, right? Prayers for a place to live, prayers for healing of a loved one, prayers for a job while our finances were dwindling. Those aren't the kinds of prayers I'm referencing with this point. I'm suggesting that sometimes the things that we bring to God and we think that we need them aren't really, in fact, needs. That relationship you keep praying for because you're lonely Well, as much as being alone may hurt, companionship may not be the need that you think it is. That promotion and salary increase that you're praying for because it would help you move into a bigger place and your family is growing. That bigger house may not be the need that you think it is. That admission to the college that you want to go to because you have a plan and it involves a major at this college, that plan that you've laid out for your life may not be the need that you think it is. The Bible says, now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, actual needs, with these we will be content. We cannot confuse need and want. For us to have a better understanding of prayer, we need to trust that God knows our needs and trust him to provide for those needs. It takes us to our second section of text. The Bible says this. And he, Jesus, said to them, So which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he'll answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I'm not going to get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. The word of the Lord. So Jesus shares the Lord's prayer. And then he continues to teach this disciple more things on prayer. It gives us this imagined scenario to consider. So in this scenario, there's a man who receives a visitor in the middle of the night, and in, at that time and in that culture, the expected response to receiving a visitor was to invite the visitor in and then provide a meal for this visitor after their long journey. To not do so would have been a huge cultural misstep. But the man has no food to provide. So he goes to his neighbor, goes to his friend, and knocks on the door, asks for some bread so he can carry out his expected cultural duty. But it's late. Friend's in bed, doesn't want to disturb his family, and so he says no. And Jesus told this disciple that eventually that friend would give in to his friend who's in need. Not because he's his friend. Not out of a cultural duty, because he also had the cultural duty to help his friend who was in need. No, eventually the man with the visitor would get his way because of his impudence. And the word impudence means boldness to take action. Other translations use the word persistence. But I think boldness and persistence together speak to what Jesus' lesson is to the disciple on prayer. And it's this. God desires persistent prayer. God desires persistent prayer prayer. He desires a boldness in us to keep asking God for help. It's not the only time Jesus makes this point. Later on in the gospel of Luke, in chapter 18, the Bible says this, and he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Will he, God, delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This parable is called the parable of the persistent widow. And again, it speaks to Jesus' point to persist in praying for the same thing over and over and over again. Do not get tired of bringing a prayer before God. In fact, in verse 8 here in Luke 18, Jesus calls such persistence faith because faith leads to persistent prayer. When we persist in prayer, when we continue to be bold, we are demonstrating our faith that God is a God who answers prayer. Our faith that God won't get irritated that we keep asking him for the same thing over and over like we would. Our faith that God We haven't given up on God as the one who answers our prayers. Persistent prayer is founded on faith. No one else in my family has given their life over to Jesus. Not my mom, not my sister, my brothers, or their families. And I have been praying for their salvation for more than two decades. And there are seasons where I pray desperately for their salvation every single day. But I confess to you, there are weeks where I don't pray for them at all. Because I'm discouraged after seeing little progress after two decades. Because I've gotten lazy. Because I've fallen out of discipline in my prayers for them. There are a lot of reasons why we get tired of lifting up the same request to God. But these passages in Scripture remind us of this third response to unanswered prayer. That God, not acting within our time, time frame, is not the same thing as God not answering prayer. God not acting within our time frame is not the same thing as God not answering prayer. Too often we grow impatient in our prayers because we believe that God's all-powerful. He can answer any prayer just like that. And so if we're still waiting for an answer, we grow impatient. We just think, you know what, then maybe God's not listening. Maybe God doesn't answer prayer. And that's a broken perspective on prayer. And it leads to a broken understanding of how God answers prayer. Because I can tell you in the last few months, I've seen answered prayers that were years or decades in the making. In the last two weeks, I witnessed a family member make a profession of faith after decades of their relatives' prayers for them. I recently saw a wayward child return to his faith in answer to the many years of prayers of his parents. God answers prayer. But God has his own plan and God has his own time frame. And our prayers will be answered according to his time frame and not ours. And so we must, to have a better understanding of prayer, we must learn persistence in prayer. Persistence in prayer. And Jesus' teaching on prayer closes with one last section of text. The Bible says, What father among you If his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, well, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus uses one more metaphor for this unnamed disciple. and He points out to this disciple that a good and loving father will never give to his child something bad. If a child asks for a good thing, then a good and loving father will give that good thing to his children. And it brings us to a fourth point on prayer, that God is good and loving, and He only gives things according to what He knows is good and loving. God is good and loving and gives us only the things He knows are good and loving. So as in all of Jesus' parables and metaphors, whenever Jesus referred to a father, he's making a point about God the Father. And in this metaphor, Jesus makes the point that if earthly fathers who are bad know how to give good things to their kids, how much more will our heavenly Father, who is good and loving, give good things? What do you think happens if a child asks their good and loving father for something that's bad, that's not good? Right? Instead of asking for a fish or an egg, what if a child goes to his good and loving father and asks for a scorpion? Well, a good and father, good loving father only gives good things to his children. He's not going to give them that scorpion. And that means when you and I ask for things that are ultimately unhealthy for us, God will not provide us what we ask. Instead, he will give us whatever good thing he has for us in its place leads us to our fourth response to the question of unanswered prayer. That God not giving us that bad thing we're asking for is not the same thing as God not answering prayer. God not giving us the bad things we ask for is not the same thing as God not answering prayer. Now listen, I acknowledge that sometimes the events in our lives or the events in this world actually make us question whether God is in fact good and loving. The number one question people wrestle with in their faith is how a good and loving God can allow suffering and evil in this world. We don't have time to answer that very real and honest question. And if that's what you're wrestling with, please let me know, because I'm happy to point you to the right resources to answer that question, including a sermon we preached here a couple years ago. God is good and loving. Even if there are times in our lives where we do not perceive him as such, our perception is not reality. This is what the Bible says about God, that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. This is the kind of God that our God is. He's the source of every good and perfect thing in our life. He's good and loving. Later on in the book of James, the Bible tells us that sometimes we ask for the wrong thing or we ask for things and we're going to use them for the wrong reason. Bible says this, you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. While God is good and loving, we're sinful people. And we sometimes ask for things that aren't good for us. And a good and loving God will not provide us that wrong thing. Oh, that nicer car that we covet out of a wrong heart? God's not going to give you that scorpion that bigger house on the lake that we want, but isn't a wise financial decision for our family. God's not going to give you that serpent. That job that you want, that's going to provide a much more comfortable living for your family, but it's going to take you away from your family more than that God wants to do. God's not going to answer that prayer. Foundationally, our trust must be in the fact that God is good and God is loving. We have to trust that if we don't receive what we ask, it's not because he's not good. It's not because he's not loving. It's not because he doesn't listen. It's not because he doesn't answer prayer. Quite possibly, the thing we're asking for may not be the good thing that we think it is. And for us to have a better understanding of prayer, we must trust that some prayers that God says no to come out of his goodness and come out of his love. Because God intends good and loving things for us. Now those are four responses to the question of how do we make sense of unanswered prayer. But let me add one more. There are prayers that don't fit one of these responses. Because that prayer wasn't selfish. That prayer wasn't out of a wrong heart. That prayer wasn't bad for us. That prayer was something we were persistent in our prayers for. And that prayer still seemingly went unanswered. What do we do with that? Maybe it was prayer for healing for ourselves or a loved one. Maybe it was prayer for reconciliation in our marriage and it fell apart. Maybe it was prayer to overcome this persistent sin and we're still struggling with it. What do we do when those kinds of prayers go seemingly unanswered? And it leads us to our last point that God answers every prayer in eternity. God answers every prayer in eternity. That is, all of the things that are broken in this world and that require prayer will find their complete restoration, not in this world, but in the world to come. Our frame can be so limited, right? We desire so badly to see prayers met in the here and the now. And yet we need to remind ourselves that as followers of Jesus, you and I, we're people of eternity. And God not answering prayers in this world is not the same thing as God not answering prayer. God not answering prayers in this world is not the same thing as him not answering prayer. Because in eternity, every broken thing finds its complete and utter renewal when Christ renews all of creation. And the complete and total and final answer to our prayers in eternity is so much better than whatever limited prayer we're seeking in this world. God's answer to our prayer is far greater than we could ever think, more complete than we could ever imagine. Christian musician Jonathan Evans, son of Pastor Tony Evans, he spoke about this in a eulogy for his mother, Lois. Now Lois had been battling gallbladder cancer, and in the last few weeks of her illness, her husband organized a prayer meeting so that people could gather to pray for her. And hundreds of people gathered at a prayer event in Dallas for her. And despite this being an unselfish prayer, despite hundreds of people interceding for her and asking for God to heal her, Lois passed away a few weeks later at the end of 2019. And her son, Jonathan, addressed this tension in her eulogy.
1: Check this out. And as I was wrestling with God, he answered. And he said number one you don't understand the nature of my victory because just because I didn't answer your prayer your way doesn't mean that I haven't already answered your prayer anyway because victory was already given to your mom. You don't understand, because of the victory that I have given you, there was always only two answers to your prayers. Either she was going to be healed or she was gonna be healed. Either she was gonna live or she was gonna live. Either she was gonna be with family or she was gonna be with family. Either she was gonna be well taken care of or she was gonna be well taken care of. Victory belongs to me.
0: The battle belongs to God victory belongs to God and he answers every prayer in eternity pastor Tim Keller noted this about eternity everything sad is going to come untrue and will somehow be greater for having once been broken and lost God is the God of eternity and we are the people of eternity and in eternity God will answer every prayer and make everything brand new the Bible says then I saw a new heaven And a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. In eternity, God answers every single prayer. Let me end with one more encouragement. There are other reasons behind why we don't pray as much as we ought to, beyond the question of unanswered prayer. We don't pray as often because our schedules are too full, because we're too tired, because we've been struggling in our walk with God and He feels distant, because we're in the middle of something tough and we're kind of mad at God, because we've been sinning and we feel guilty to come before Him. There are any number of reasons that the devil will tell you to keep us from going to God in prayer. And yet the command of Scripture is to pray, to pray without ceasing. Family, listen. Even when prayer is difficult, And even when we don't feel like praying, especially when we don't feel like praying, pray anyways. Go to God in prayer. Praying when we don't feel like praying is an act of faith and obedience. It's an act of faith and obedience. It's an act of faith. It's a trust that God loves us and we love Him no matter what's going in our lives. It's faith. It's obedience because the Bible commands us to pray even when we don't feel like it. And when we come to God and pray when we don't feel like praying, it's a reflection of our love for him. God, I love you enough to come to you no matter how I'm feeling. The month of March is one of my low cycles in my ongoing battle with depression. And two weeks ago, I had a rough few days mentally where it was difficult for me to do anything. It was difficult for me to get out of bed and face the day, much less pray. And I skipped one of our weekly staff prayer times because I just, I couldn't, I just, I didn't have it in me. And a few days later, I saw this picture on social media that led me back into prayer. And it's a depiction of a prayer journal, and the prayer just says, Dear Lord, with tear stains. Because when we come to God in prayer, even when we're struggling, our tears are a prayer. Coming to God in our silent pain is a prayer. Saying nothing before God and lifting up our hurts to Him is prayer. Prayer is our time to communicate and commune with a God who loves us, who knows our heart, who knows what we're dealing with, who knows what we're struggling with. And He wants us to come to Him. No matter how you're feeling, no matter how much you're struggling, no matter where you are in your relationship with God, no matter... Where you, how you feel, whether we don't feel like praying, even if you doubt that he's listening, go to him. Go to him in prayer. Pour out your heart to him in prayer. God is good and loving. God hears your prayer. God answers prayer. The battle belongs to him. And so does the victory. The Bible says, On God rest my salvation, my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God trust in him at all times oh people pour out your heart before him because god is a refuge for us amen so how can we live out prayer more intentionally a few next steps first i will commit to 14 days of prayer i will commit to 14 days of prayer there is unstoppable power when god's people unite together in prayer if you and i want to change ourselves and our communities and our world It starts with committed prayer. This weekend we are releasing a 14 day prayer guide written by our staff and elders. We posted it to our church family Facebook page on Friday. We have some printed copies at the welcome center in the gathering area. And this guide contains daily devotionals beginning today and running through Easter Saturday. Guys, imagine how much hell trembles at the thought of a thousand people united together in prayer for the next two weeks. Let's make it tremble. In addition to this prayer guide, as you heard earlier, on the bistro tables, in the table out in the worship center, there are these Ramadan prayer guides. Um, For the last 30 years, this has been going on where churches have been praying for Muslims during Ramadan. And not coincidentally, there have been more Muslims coming to faith in Christ over the last 30 years than any other time in history. Prayer works. So you can also commit to praying through this Ramadan guide. Second, I will attend at least one LC3 prayer event. As God's people, we're called to pray together corporately. In Isaiah 56, God says this, These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted at my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. We are the people of God, and the word house can be translated as household or family. That's who we are as people of eternity. We're a family that prays together. Pastor Rich has put it this way. The Bible is more communal than individual. Jesus teaches us to pray our Father, not my Father. Paul uses the phrase our Lord 53 times and my Lord only one time. We're the people of God and we belong to each other. And we're called to pray together. We have four days of prayer events beginning today, right after this service, just in a few minutes. We're going to have our first hour of corporate prayer. We're going to pray for the events of Easter over these next two weeks. That's happening right after this service. And then tomorrow and Tuesday at 10 a.m. in the morning and also at 7 p.m. here at the church, we have four times of prayer and then Wednesday at 10 a.m. So on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we have five additional prayer times. And we're going to be praying over these prayer cards. Now, let me give you take a moment to share the importance of these prayer cards. We're going to be praying over them Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. The cards are a place for you to write down the names of family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, anyone that you know who doesn't yet have a relationship with Jesus. And we are going to, after you finish writing names down, you can just put them in the little baskets on the bistro tables outside the worship center. If you do not fill out one of these cards, you are telling me one of two things. One, you're telling me you don't have any unsaved family members, friends, co-workers, or neighbors, which I find really hard to believe. Or two, you're telling me that you don't believe that hundreds of God's people gathering together to pray over these cards are going to result in transformed lives. I can tell you, listen, family, we've had testimonies over the years of people who went from being names on this card to names in Jesus' book of life. It works, it costs you nothing. It costs you absolutely nothing to take time right now to write down names. And so I beg you, please write down some names that we can pray over these next three days. And then join us in prayer over these cards. Third, I will pray with others. I'm referring to praying with others outside of these scheduled LC3 prayer events. While we're organizing the next four days of prayer, prayer should not stay in this building. We encourage every one of you to connect with the people in your relationship circles and commit to praying at least once with someone else or with other people between now and Easter. Pray together with your accountability partners. Pray together with your small group. Pray together with your re-engage group. Pray together with your every Man a Warrior pod. Pray together with your W2 Connect mentor. Pray together with your friends and so on. Praying with people and others is especially important, by the way, in seasons when you're having a hard time praying because gathering with someone else will encourage you in your prayer life and they can also pray for you when you're struggling. Prayer together is what the early church did and it is what the modern church ought to be doing as well. And then lastly, I will participate in the LC3 Day of Prayer, the Day of Prayer. This year we're doing something else that we've never done before. Next Monday, April 11th, Monday of Holy Week, we're going to be opening our campus from the hours of from between 9 a.m. and 7 p.m. for 10 hours. On that day, you can come to the church anytime between 9 and 7 and do one of three things. One, the staff is going to be in continuous prayer from 9 to 7 through the, the church directory. So everybody who calls Lake City home is going to be prayed over that day repeatedly. You can join us in praying through the directory. Number two, If you need prayer for anything in your life right now, please give us the opportunity to pray for you. Just drop in for a few minutes and tell the staff and share a prayer request and we will gladly pray over you. Or three, you can come into the worship center and there's going to be a self guided prayer journey set up. There's going to be stations throughout the worship center with instructions that will lead you through guided prayer experience. Prayer is part of the heartbeat and DNA of this church. And so we're opening up our campus to our church family for 10 hours next Monday. Please be part of it, even if it's just to drop by to be prayed over. These are just four ways that we can be intentional in our prayers this season. My challenge is that everyone would see these four ways as a minimum goal. As we approach Easter, our goal ought to be to maximize the amount of time that we're praying individually and corporately. I found this quote from Pastor John Piper incredibly convicting. One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. If you don't use Twitter or Facebook, replace them with whatever non-essential thing you do. Watch television, surf the internet, play games on your phone, and so on. One day you and I are going to answer before the very throne of God for how we prioritize prayer in our life. The Bible commands us to be constant in prayer. We, the people of God, the people of eternity, are called to be in constant communication and communion with him. Kingdom-minded thinking prioritizes prayer. And my prayer is that this church would be known for the strength, power, and faithfulness of our prayer. I want us to keep thinking about prayer as we transition now to communion. As is our tradition at Lake City, we observe communion the first weekend of each month. And as we come to the Lord's table, I want us to focus on this definition of prayer, that prayer is communication and communion with God. Because communication and communion with God is what the Lord's table is all about. It's why this act is called communion. At the Lord's table, we remember who God is and what he's done. We spend time communicating with him, asking him to remind us in our hearts what he's accomplished for us. We're spending time sitting and meditating in his presence in this act of remembrance. That's what communion is. And thinking about connection between prayer and communion is especially important as we approach Easter. Because we're reminded that the night before Good Friday, Jesus himself spent time in prayer asking God the Father about what was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen. He's asking God for the strength to accomplish it. And what we remember in prayer at the Lord's table are the events of Good Friday and Easter. Jesus refers to the broken bread and says, this is my body which is for you. He refers to the cup and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The elements of communion are the symbols of Good Friday. Good Friday. And so as we come to the Lord's table, we acknowledge that the only means by which we're brought back into a right relationship with God is through his death and resurrection, is through Good Friday and Easter. The Bible says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. At Lake City, we practice open communion. You don't have to be a member here to partake of communion, you just have to be a believer. If you have not yet placed your faith in Jesus Christ, we ask that you refrain from participating. And take this time to meditate on the truths of Good Friday and Easter, what God has done for you. And if you're ready to place your faith in Christ, then yes, enjoy communion with us as a celebration of your decision. Jackie's going to play some meditative music for the next minute or so, and if you didn't get the chance to grab these elements on your way in, now's the time to do so. But otherwise, take the time to reflect, to sit, to communicate and commune with Jesus. I'll be back up in a minute to lead us in communion.